Again, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Uh, it's cliche, we say it every year, but you have one of the most overlooked, underpaid jobs in our society today. We love you, we appreciate you. You may not know this, but my mom is one of my biggest heroes. She's one of those people that is always serving others. And, and the truth is, I follow Jesus today. I love the church today uh, because I had a mom and dad who not only taught me about Christ, but uh, were consistent about showing it in their life on a day-to-day basis. Now, I also am well aware that on a day like today, many of us have dreaded Mother's Day. And this day kind of surfaces a lot of different emotions. It's yet again another reminder that you lost your mom this past year. You lost a child. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. You can't be a mom. You want to be a mom. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mom. And you were told at a young age that you were a mistake. You should have never been born. Or maybe you wish you could go back and have a do-over, rewind time when kids were in your home. And you would be a better mom. You would be more intentional, maybe. So whatever pain or hurt or grief this day surfaces in you, I, I want you to know that, that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It'd be condescending of me to even claim to know what it feels like to be in your shoes, but, but I can tell you this, that you are not alone. This is a very imperfect church, and what that means is that there are other women, there are other moms here who could look you in the eye and whatever it is that you're going through and say, me too, I, I've been there before, I'm there with you right now, I know what that's like, and, and though it may feel like this, understand that God sees your pain, he is with you, he, he's a lot closer than you think. Now, I also want to give a big shout out to uh, all of you men out there who don't normally attend church and, you know, you come occasionally. And the reason why you're here is because you asked your mom or your wife the one thing she wanted from you on Mother's Day, and that was to attend church with you. And so you came, good choice, way to save some money, all right? It's really good. And, and I just want to kind of put you at ease, relax. We don't want anything from you. Regardless of your reasons being here today, we are really glad uh, that you're here because what we're going to do today is we're going to continue in this series that we kicked off about a month ago called The Heaven I Never Knew. And, and the whole idea driving this series here at Crossroads is that when most of us think about heaven, when we hear that word, oftentimes images that are lame come to mind, Right? I mean, none of us think of heaven as this exciting place, this place that we look forward to. Most of the time, it's, it's something that we dread, and, and so we hold on to this life as, as much as possible. By a show of hands, how many of you love country music? Anybody out there? Yeah, you love Jesus. Yeah, I, I love country music. It's one of my favorite genres of music. And uh, you may recall a couple years ago, Kenny Chesney came out with a song called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. And, and he, here's a portion of that song. I'm going to throw up here on the screen. He said it like this, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody, nobody wants to go now. Someday I want to see those streets of gold in my halo, but I wouldn't mind waiting at least 100 years or so. And I think this kind of describes how a lot of us feel about heaven. And we don't want to go there right now. I mean, surely when we die, we don't want it to be today. We fear what that's going to look like. But when that day comes, heaven, it's sure a better alternative than hell, right? And so we don't want to go now because our image, what comes to mind, it's not all that appealing. Life here seems much more exciting. Now, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you that there is good and evil in our world today. All around us, we see this tension of what's good and what's bad, don't we? And if you don't think that there's bad in this life, you've never been to the Kentucky State Fair, okay? 
I grew up going and wow, all right? And so all around us, we, we see good and bad. And the Bible tells us that everything good in life that we see and experience it, it comes from God himself. It comes from our creator. And everything evil and bad, the source of it is, is Satan. And so the Bible tells us that one of Satan's main purposes in life is, is to drag people along with him to destruction, to, to lead people to death, to lead people into wickedness and evil. And, and so how does he do this? Well, a book in the Bible called Revelation says it like this. This is Satan's strategy of how he brings people with him. He convinces people to blaspheme, blaspheme God and, and to slander his name and his dwelling place, heaven, all right, and those who live in heaven. And so one of Satan's strategies is to confuse us about what eternity with God is, is really all about. Now also notice here in this text that if you have a poor view of heaven, that there is really a bigger issue at play. There's a deeper problem because what's happened is if we have a lame view of heaven, chances are we also have a very weak view of Jesus. And so our problem isn't so much maybe a poor view of eternity as it is a poor view of understanding who God is. I mean, somewhere along the way, we've bought into this image of Jesus that is just lame, is weak. He's some you know, scrawny dude who walked around the streets of Jerusalem, dusty streets with long flowing hair and just kind of told people to play nice with each other and to, and to be gentle and to be kind, right? And it's no wonder that many people want nothing to do with Jesus, especially men. Why? Because there's this false version of their out there of him that, that is not all that inspiring. I mean, who wants to follow a weak God, right? And so the place that we have been left with is this false version of Jesus that has been feminized, it's been watered down, and we have this perception of him being some pacifist who just goes around and, and tells people to play nice with each other. Who wants to follow a God like that? right? And so when it comes to heaven, really, there's a bigger issue at play. We have this version of Jesus that, that, has, that has been lessened over time. Now, how did this begin? Well, I don't know exactly when it occurred in church history, but somewhere along the way, some church leaders and pastors got together and realized that there was this problem in culture of, of people not really responding well to Jesus of the Bible. And, and so they wanted a Jesus that was more tolerant, more broadly accepted by others. And, and so they started taking stories of him out of context or certain teachings out of context and, and misunderstanding. And so all of a sudden, we've been given this false version of him that doesn't exist, and, and that has led to a false view of eternity. How many of you have been uh, watching TV and all of a sudden a commercial pops up talking about some medication and it gets awkward really quickly? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I got to tell you, there's nothing like watching Doc McStuffins with your three-year-old daughter and then all of a sudden you're ambushed by a commercial giving all the details of the side effects of men menopause, all right? And so she's asking me all these questions. I'm like, well, I don't really, you know, I don't know. And, uh, and at the end of those commercials, what, what, what do the drug companies do? They list off all the potential side effects of taking that medication, right? They say it as quickly as possible. I think it's for legal reasons that they do that. I recently came across a medication that is supposedly uh, helps with facial acne. And here's what they said the side effects of this medication are. 
If you take this medication, you can anticipate depressed moods, sleep problems, crying spells, aggression or agitation, changes in behavior, hallucinations, sudden numbness or weakness, severe headache or pain behind your eyes, sometimes with vomiting, hearing loss, seizures or sudden convulsions, catch this, uncontrollable flatulence, your husband really needs no help with that, severe diarrhea, fever, chills, body aches, death may occur. I'll just take the pimples, all right? (laughs) And so side effects are these unintended consequences that happen when we try to treat a problem. And so it's drug company's way of saying, hey, if you treat this problem, this issue may also arise along the way. And so the side effect of, of having a poor view of Christ, a weak view of Christ, is that countless people have been sent into eternity unprepared to unprepared for death, unprepared for what they will face after life here in this world. Let me say it like this. What we think about heaven is determined by what we think about Jesus. What we think about heaven is determined by what we think about Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we had you vote on what you wanted to talk about in this series for the next two weeks. And, and so you texted us and uh, told us that you wanted to hear more about relationships and activities. Last week, we talked about relationships. And so this week, we're going to talk about what we're going to experience in heaven in a more thorough way, what that's going to be like. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. All right. If you don't own a Bible, there should be be a black one in the seat right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's on one of those tables as you walked in a moment ago. And uh, again, that's our gift for you. Feel free to take it with you when you leave here today. Isaiah can be found right in the middle of your Bible in between the books of Song of Songs uh, and uh, Jeremiah, okay? Now, let me just set the context up as you're flipping there. We're going to be in chapter 65 of Isaiah, picking up in verse 11, all right? Now, Isaiah was a man uh, sent by God. He was a messenger. He was a preacher, okay? He, He was somebody sent by God to warn God's people, the Jews or the Israelites, as they're sometimes referred to, uh, to warn them about what was, he- what was ahead for them. I mean, they had completely walked away from what God said was right and true. And so Isaiah said, hey, if you keep down this path, here's where your life is headed. Sometimes God would be very direct with them and in their face. Other times he would paint this picture of, of what's to come for those who remain in him. And, and so we see both kind of uh, styles of confrontation in our text today. Pick up in verse 11 of Isaiah 65. Isaiah says, but it's for you who forsake the Lord and forget my holy mountain, who spread a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny. I will destine you for the sword and all of you who fall in the slaughter. Kind of sounds like a conversation my mom had with me growing up. All right. For I called you, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and you chose to displease me. Happy Mother's Day. And this was a harsh warning for the Jewish people who had disobeyed God. They had a very on and off relationship with the Lord at this point in time. And so God called, but the people rejected him. Now, let me ask you, don't you hate it when you're trying to get a hold of somebody and when you call, you can tell that they hit the deny button, right? When they saw your name pop up on caller ID, they sent you right to voicemail. I mean, that's frustrating, isn't it? Well, in a similar way, that's what the Jews were doing with God here. He was trying to pursue them, and and they were denying him. And therefore, Isaiah was God's messenger that sounded the alarm because they were headed towards eternal judgment. And so one of the first questions that a lot of us have when it comes to eternity and, and even heaven in general goes like this, who will be judged after this life? 
Who will be judged after this life? What, what will judgment uh, be like? Now, the short answer here is, is everyone, all right, everyone, everywhere. A time is coming when, when all people will stand before the throne of God and will be labeled guilty or will be labeled free. The guilty will be those of us in, in this life who, who refuse to trust Jesus, okay? Now, here's the thing. God will continue to pursue you in this life even after you tell him no and no and no. But hear this. Ongoing rejection eventually leads to this place where you hear God's voice less and less. I mean, you can only hit the reject button so many times until God just he quits calling or, or you don't even see that he's calling. And so hell is this forever place where, where there's the total absence of God's presence. I have a lot of friends who want nothing to do with Jesus or the church, and, and, and they tell me all the time, you know, Patrick, I just, can't, I just can't follow a God who would send anybody to hell. And a lot of us, we think that as well. But understand that God doesn't send anyone to hell. He didn't even create it for people. No, hell was originally established for, for Satan and his demons. It was, a way, it was God's way of protecting his children, his people, from pain and, and evil in heaven. You see, a father, a father is only as good as his ability to foresee harm and do whatever it takes to protect his children from being, uh, from being harmed, right? Now, not to be dramatic, but I believe that the very reason why you're here today is because your creator is calling you to himself before it's too late. Now, maybe you think that, that hell is really unfair, but, but let me just ask you this. What if hell is actually more fair than, than heaven? What do I mean by that? Well, think about it like this. Hell is God's way of giving people what they ultimately want. I mean, if you want nothing to do with God in this life, then hell is a place where, where you get more of it. You see, separation from the Lord is not really what you want, though. You see, we were designed to live in community, in oneness with our creator. And during the final judgment, uh, heaven will be a forever home for those who... Um, who, who God declares free and forgiven. We're, we're told this in Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. All right, so it's this, it's this picture of, of all of us, all people being on death row and we've been deemed guilty. That's where we're headed. But then all of a sudden, Jesus steps foot in our place and, and he offers to pardon us. And, and so the question is, do we accept this or, or do we reject it? Now, in the early church, whenever uh, an individual said, yeah, I'm in on that deal, I, I don't have all the answers, I still have a lot of questions, but that makes sense to me, that, that seems like a pretty good offer, we see in the Bible that one of the first things someone would do is that they were baptized. They chose to believe, they, they trusted Christ, and, and then they were baptized. Now, baptism was just a symbolic moment for everyone in their community, in their family, in, in their city, where they were living at the time, for everyone to know that, that that person has chosen to follow Jesus. Their past has been wiped clean. You see, baptism is, is symbolic that, that we don't want our past to define us any longer. We're tired of listening to those whispers in our ears. We're tired of the mistakes haunting us and ambushing 
pushing us time and time again. We're, we're tired of guilt and shame and fear weighing us down in life. And, and so we have finally found Jesus, the one who's offered to take all of that away. Now, I understand that there's nothing special about the water. It's just from the Ohio, all right? It's been filtered, hopefully. There's nothing special about it, but it's symbolic. It, it represents what Christ has done for you. It's a visible uh, illustration of an inward decision that you've made. made. You made. And we want you to remember your baptism. And so if you've been following Jesus for many years, but you've never taken this step, or you don't remember your baptism, or or maybe you're not there yet with Jesus, we want to encourage you to consider being baptized next weekend, all right? And if you still have questions, or or you'd like to even register for that, you can log on to our website, cccgo.com slash baptism, submit your questions, let us know that that's a decision uh, you want to make, and and we would love to come alongside you, because next weekend is going to be a celebration as as we all uh, celebrate together about what Christ has has done in our lives. Now, for those of us who are Christians, we need to understand that, that we will be judged, but we will be judged for our good works, all right? Now, this is what some might call a second judgment. Now, understand that, that these good works, that they don't save us, and so let me clarify it by saying like this. Good works do not determine where we spend eternity. We can't earn our place into heaven, but our good works determine how we will spend eternity, It determines how we are going to spend life in heaven, what that's going to be like. And so once we've received God's grace in our life, we're we're not only saved from something, we're not only released from punishment, we've been given this pardon, but we're also freed for something. We're saved for a purpose and for a mission. God has actually called us to be on mission with him to reclaim what's been broken, to restore what's been lost, and that's part of the purpose of why we're still here. We're here for these good works. And and that kind of surfaces a second question that a lot of us have about heaven. It goes like this. What are rewards in heaven all about? What are rewards in heaven all about? Although living forever in a place where there's no brokenness or death will be great enough relief in itself, God promises to reward us according to how we did in this life, how well we lived. Take a look at verse 13 in Isaiah 65. Isaiah says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servant will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. And so right here, Isaiah described the contrast between what the future holds for those who choose to trust the Lord and those who want nothing to do with him. Now notice how God says that his people were rejoice with him. All right, we're told that our various rewards in life will be a source of of rejoicing for us. And one time Jesus uh, told a story to his friends and followers. Uh, This story is kind of like a parable. That's just a fancy Bible word of of, uh, how Jesus would teach. It was a story to explain a truth to people. And and so he, he explained rewards to his followers by saying it like this. One time there was this really wealthy man who decided to go and out on vacation, he went to Cancun, and before he left, not really, all right, not, before he left, he gathered his three servants together and said, hey, here's some of my money, okay, and, and I'm going to entrust you with some of it while I'm gone. Now, Jesus specifically says that all three servants received a different amount according to his ability. And so the man comes back from his vacation, from being out of town, and, and he says, okay, what, what did you, what'd you do with my money? Well, 
The first two servants were told they took some risks, they stepped out in faith, and they chose to invest it. And, and as a result, they, they got a good return. It, it was a wise move on their part. But then the third servant, he just wanted to play it safe. He got in protection mode. And so Jesus specifically says that he went and he buried the money because he didn't want it to be taken away. He, he, he saw himself as the one to preserve it and to, and to you know, hold it together. And Jesus tells him, look, you are wicked, you are lazy, and he sends him out to judgment. Now, the first two servants who took risks and stepped out in faith, Jesus told them, hey, look, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come into your master's happiness and rejoice with me. You see, that was basically Jesus' way of saying, hey, in the end, we don't get any points for playing it safe. We don't get any points for for choosing comfort over taking risks. You see, our rewards will be determined by how well we manage what's been entrusted with us in this life. Again, our works don't determine salvation, but our good works following salvation is why we're still here. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16, for the Son of Man, he's just talking about himself, that was a title he gave himself, I'm going to come in my Father's glory with his angels, and, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. You see, each person has been given time, unique gifts and abilities and and even resources to join God in fulfilling his mission to, again, reclaim what's been lost and restore what's been broken. Now, here's the thing. This requires that we step out in faith, that we take risks because what we do in this life, it it matters forever. It matters for eternity. One of my all-time favorite movies is uh, Gladiator. Uh, it's, it's just an awesome movie, and one of the opening scenes is when the main character, played by Russell Crowe, General Maximus, he, he gathers his men together before battle. They're, they're about to take on uh, Germany, and, uh, and, and he's trying to pump them up, and, and he tells his men as he's sitting on horseback, he says, hey, men, just remember this, that what you do in this life echoes for eternity. You remember that scene? And you see, there, there's a lot of truth to that. And the idea of rewards, it kind of upsets a lot of people because Jesus, again, has been misrepresented. It's easier to craft this version of Christ who who gives everyone a trophy, everybody a gold star, gives everybody an A on the report card. But but this is one of the reasons why we were created. Again, two weeks ago, I uh, asked that you uh, text in your uh, vote on what you wanted to hear in this series uh, when it comes to heaven. And uh, a couple of you took the liberty to just text me directly and kind of go against the system. And, and so after Saturday night service, uh, I got a text message from someone asking me a question when it comes to heaven. I just want to throw that question up on the screen here. Here's what I saw after that service. Now, I didn't know whether to be offended or honored that my wife would text that, all right? I mean, because in a text, you can't really determine tone. You don't know how they're saying it. I mean, was Savannah saying that? Like, hey, I hope this is a reward, and that was kind of a way of encouraging me. Or was she saying that by, man, I hope I'll be rewarded for being married to you, you know? (laughs) And there are honestly a lot of questions about heaven that, that we just don't know about, and the Bible Gives us some details, but, but not a whole lot. But it's likely that our rewards will come in the form of more responsibility, greater opportunities to rule over his kingdom. Our capacity to know, learn, and grow will be greater. On two occasions, Paul talked about how our reward will be to look back on this life and see the impact that we had on other people. I mean, is it possible? Is it possible that the harder our life is now, the greater our reward will be then? 
On Thursday, I was flying down to Dallas from Evansville here, and uh, I sat two rows behind this mom, probably in her 60s, and she was sitting across the aisle from her probably 40-year-old son, and it became obvious that, that he had some special needs, and and I just kind of observed her interaction with him over the course of the flight. And, and when I first got on the plane, you, you could tell that he was very nervous. He was very fidgety. He was rocking his body back and forth. He was playing with his hands a lot. He, he was so nervous. Maybe he had never flown before. I, I don't know. But the mom just kind of reached across the aisle, and she held his hand. And she'd rub his arm. She'd scratch his back. About an hour into the flight, I was doing something on my computer. I looked up, and, and I heard that, that him trying to say something. It was the first time he, he said something on the flight. And in broken words and in broken language and broken English, she could make out what he was saying. And when he was talking to her, her face just lit up. I mean, joy came across her. You could tell that she took such delight in her son. What I didn't tell you was that it was evident that she lived a pretty hard life. You could see that the level of responsibility and stress of caring for him day after day constantly had taken a toll on her body. And yet in that moment, I could tell that she took such delight in her son that she loved so much. You know what I think? I think somebody like that, a mom, a dad who is relentlessly cared for their child with special needs, they will be rewarded far more than somebody like me who has children who's been healthy for most of their life. And God's going to reward somebody like Marvin Weber of our church who faithfully cared for his wife with Alzheimer's at the end of her life and was by her side every step of the way than the individual who takes advantage of their spouse who is healthy. And Jesus says that the person who invests into his kingdom by giving financially and generously giving of our money will have more rewards in heaven than those who just occasionally give God a tip here and there. And so a question I want to put before you goes like this. How well are you doing at living with the end in mind? How well are you doing at that? Look at verse 14 here. Isaiah says, my servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail and brokenness of spirit. You will leave your name for my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants, to his servants, he will give another name. Now, our singing right here, it reflects the joy that we're going to experience. But does that mean that we're not going to remember anything from this life? I mean, if a loved one, if a loved one who wasn't a Christian passed away, will we miss him or will we miss her? I mean, there are so many answers that we have that are difficult, and, and most of them, we, we just don't know. But this does lead to the last question. It goes like this. Will we carry over grief from this life? Will we carry over grief from this life? The short answer here is no, all right? One day the curse of sin will be removed and this new heaven and new earth will be brought down to earth and it will be this paradise where it's impossible for us to cry, mourn, and experience loss. Our, our new name that Isaiah says here represents a brand new future, a fresh start. Now whenever a friend or a family member has a loved one that dies, our natural tendency is to try to come alongside them and soothe them with answers and, and to say different things to them in that moment. But sometimes we just end up saying things that are awkward, untrue, stupid, or just inappropriate. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, when my grandpa died about 12 years ago or 11 years ago, someone said to me, well, you know, God just needed another angel. Thanks. That's great. 
Now that sounds innocent and that sounds nice and all, but you see comments like this subtly make God out to be some pathetic, angry, cosmic force. Understand that God is not dependent upon us. God does not need any one of us. And there is no evidence in scripture that says when we die, we become angels. God said in the book of Job that the angels were actually with him when he created the earth, which makes them above people in the created order. We will maintain our individual identities, even our own looks and personalities in heaven, okay? Now let's go a little bit deeper with this. Several months ago, I was talking to a mom on the phone, and just a few days before, she had lost her son to suicide. And so I told her that I was praying for her and that we loved her and we, we were going to be with her all all through her grief. And, and the more we talked, I could tell that, that the source of her grief was this, this question of wondering, did, did this automatically send him to hell? This, this act that he did of, of killing himself, did it automatically send him to eternal judgment? You see, somewhere along the way, that teaching has kind of emerged in some churches that suicide is, automatically sends somebody to hell. And, and they find passages to justify it, and they say, well, you know, it's, it's a sinful act taking a life, and, and yet there's no uh, opportunity for that individual to confess the sin of suicide before they transition from this life to the next, and they might use Judas as an example of that, who betrayed Jesus, hung himself, and, and the Bible tells us that he did go to hell. And yet understand this, that the moment you trust Jesus, your sin from your past, your sin in the moment, and all your sin in the future is taken care of. You see, entrance into heaven is not dependent upon all the sin that we confess. If you use that rationale, how do we know that we've ever confessed all the sin in our life, right? That puts, that puts a lot of pressure on us, and it makes Christianity a very works-based religion that, that makes eternity contingent upon what we bring to the table. Understand that the cross of Jesus Christ is much bigger than our ability to screw up our life, and that includes suicide as well. The cross of Jesus Christ is far bigger than some of the stupid decisions that we may make. Now, understand that suicide is a very selfish, sinful act, but also get this, that God's grace covers that. God understands God knows he's not caught off guard by that when it happens. And so if that individual who has taken his or her life has taken their life, God's grace covers that as well. God understands that sometimes in the final moments we make unwise decisions, we're confused, okay? I also want to remind moms and dads that our children constantly face the darkness of this world at an even younger age and, and realize that technology is kind of a tool that can be used for good or can be used for bad. Now, I'm not saying it's it, it eliminated at all costs. Don't, don't do that. There are ways to redeem it, but just be careful and monitor what your children watch. A new show on Netflix called 13 Reasons Why is about a girl who commits suicide. Here's why this is dangerous for your children to watch, and this is a dangerous form of entertainment. Both the Society of Clinical Child and Adolescent Psychology and National Association of School Psychologists in the past months have re- in the past month have released a statement saying that research shows how exposure to another person's suicide or sensational accounts of death can serve as a trigger. And so as parents, as moms, as dads, this is not a time for us to be passive. This is not a time for us to check out. Jesus said that the evil one comes to lie, steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus himself has come to give life and and to give it more abundantly, and that's the option that's on the table. Therefore, we must constantly be on guard because without fighting, there is no peace. Without waging war, there is no salvation. We must be on guard and fight against the darkness and remember that the power in us is far greater than the the power that is before us. 
Now, here's one more thing about heaven that, that many parents want to know. Some ask if they're stillborn, if their young child or miscarried baby will be in heaven. Ephesians 2, after all, says that we're objects of wrath at birth, and, and the only way to be saved is to receive the gift of salvation through Christ. And so I want you to hear me clearly on this. No one will go to hell who is not able to believe or meet God's one condition of salvation. This is far different from those who stubbornly refuse to believe at the point of accountability or maybe fail to respond to God's invitation. Universalism is a false heretical teaching that says God's going to save everybody in the end. Love wins. All right, run. False teachers, okay? But that would belittle the cross if we were to say that that includes children as well. That belittles the cross and completely nullifies our mission uh, as as a church. And, And so what's the biblical proof here that babies and children will one day be in heaven? Well, Jesus constantly welcomed children into his presence. He said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, that that heaven actually belonged to little children. King David wrote in the book of 2 Samuel that one day he would be reunited with his baby son who, who died just moments, days after birth. From Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, the character of God is one who is just, he is merciful, he is wise, he is gracious, and he is compassionate. He is a good father. Over two years ago, Rebecca Niblack lost her baby to sudden infant death syndrome that was the result of, of a really tough pregnancy and complications during the birth. It was a, it was a strenuous process. Later on, she, she wrote a poem to help her cope with, with the loss of her child. And, and in one part of the poem that she actually wrote out to her baby, she wrote this. She said, I went to wake you, but Jesus already had With even more love than your mother, he took you tenderly into his arms to show you a different world. And when I consider your two entrances into these worlds, what a contrast, she says. What surprising differences. If your arrival on earth was brutal and violent, your arrival in heaven was nothing but love and and gentleness without cries, without pain, and by far the best. And so God tells us But a day is coming when he is going to wipe away everything that has caused us pain, every ounce of darkness, and he is going to bring to us a new heaven and a new earth, and all this stuff here in this world, all the bad stuff at least, we, we won't remember it. It's like in a moment, things are just going to become untrue. And so until that day happens, we wait, and we join God in his mission to reclaim this lost and broken world, but we wait until that day when when every ounce of sadness is taken from us and our ever-present reality is joy, excitement, and pleasure in his presence. I just want to briefly end here by talking to two individuals for just a second. First, there are those of you who you don't know about this whole Jesus thing. You, you've been running from him for a while. You, you kind of think, I've got a lot of questions. I, I, I really don't want anything to do with him. And I've got my reasons. I've got my experiences to back up my claim. And, and at the end of the day, is it possible that you could be running from a false version of Jesus? Is it possible that, that the image that you've been running from, it, it's really not who you think Jesus is? And, and so a question I want to challenge you with right now goes like this, okay? How would you respond if you realized that you had been running from a version of Jesus that doesn't really exist? Would things change for you? And if this is where you find yourself, here's a practical challenge I wanna, I wanna put before you this week. What would it look like for you just to pray every single day this week 
something like this. God, if you're real, would you just reveal yourself to me? Would you help me? Would you help me believe? What, what do you have to lose? I mean, don't you want this to be true? Don't you want heaven to be your reality? The second group of, the, uh, of us in here are those who have made that decision. We're, we're followers of Jesus. We're Christians. Would you this week just pray for the individuals who are struggling with Jesus, who are struggling with faith? Would you pray that the God would show himself to you and that they would experience what you've experienced in your life, all the hope, the forgiveness, and the freedom that Christ has brought to you? All right? We're going to wrap this series up next week, and I, I hope you'll come back. Uh, before, before I get off here, let, let me pray for you, okay? God, there's not one of us in here who doesn't long for the day when there will be no more phone calls in the middle of the night, no more waiting long hours in the emergency room, no more lawyer visits, no more hearings, none of that. God, we long for that day because so much of this life is defined by what we screwed up. So much of this life is defined by sin, darkness, brokenness. Things aren't right, and yet you tell us in your word that a day is coming. It's a lot sooner than we think, but a day is coming when you're gonna make all that right. And so in the meantime, we wait. Would you help us who struggle with this? Would you help us to believe? Reveal yourself to us. Faith doesn't mean that we have all our questions answered, but it means that we say, okay, I... I'm going to take a step towards you. Help us to stop running and to surrender to you and you alone. Thank you for the hope that you give and thank you that you are our perfect father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.